0: Welcome. It was a delight to get to spend time with Sterling and Aaron of Enneagram coaching, training and certification company, Empathy Architects. I love this pair's podcast. It's the most engaging and educational Enneagram podcast out there at the moment for me. Sterling's just written a book, which for the first time brings the Enneagram and narcissism together. It was on the verge of being out there in the world when this interview took place in October. Through this conversation, I got to develop my immature understanding of narcissism quite a lot, actually, which I feel will stand me in good stead in various ways. I dedicate this episode to my Facebook friend and wise for Erin Fraser. It was Erin that connected me with Sterling and Erin's work. Thank you, Erin, for your online presence. Enjoy hearing from this wonderful pair of humans and investigate their offerings at empathyarchitects.com. platform with your wit and wisdom. No pressure. Of yeah, thanks for having <laughs> thanks us. For having us. Hosts of Do You Know You, the best Enneagram podcast out there at the moment, founders of Empathy Architects, which Coaching Consulting and Enneagram Certification Company, you both have PhDs as well. That's not my surprise at, at you having PhDs. It's my sort of um, admiration <laughs> of, of, of that. <laughs> founders of central oklahoma dance company as well yes very cool i, I loved yes. learning that you started dance at 31 by the way so yes yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's cool. um
1: it was it's been a journey but it's uh it was just sort of a surprise thing so yeah i like to throw that in there because we do more than the enneagram but yeah that,
2: uh, yeah, and I actually, I went to grad school for four years, so I should have a PhD, but uh-huh. I have two master's degrees.
0: I should have checked that, Aaron It doesn't say that in the bio, actually. I just assumed. So you've got two master's
2: degrees. No, I'll take it. I'll- <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference? So you have two masters, right. not a PhD. It's almost the same amount of grad school, mm-hmm. but I guess I just changed lanes rather than staying in one, and I didn't do a dissertation. So that'd be the only difference.
0: Ah, yeah.
2: Okay. Tell me the story behind the name, even though, admittedly, it is
0: fairly (laughs) self-explanatory.
1: Aaron and I, I I can think back to when we were brainstorming names for things, and we've. This is kind of the second iteration of a of an Enneagram business. We started one in grad school, um, Hmm. and uh, did pretty well with it. We actually taught classes to therapists and mental health counselors. Is how we started out when we were studying that topic, and. Um, I think one theme throughout our work has been um, or throughout our lives has been sort of emphasizing empathy and compassion and understanding other people. I think at at its heart, that's what the Enneagram is really for. It's understanding ourselves and understanding other people and having developing compassion and empathy for that. So
2: it was a process. I mean, we have as true millennials, we have a reputation for spending weeks trying to name something <laughs> instead of just doing perfect it. Name, yes. yeah
1: yeah
2: and I think we were at Starbucks and this one just
1: mm-hmm.
2: kind of happened and we were yeah. like that's perfect it right. describes what we're doing perfectly so yeah we, we were
1: just trying to create a, a evocative image of you know I think what ideally what we're trying to do um with our brand and our business and um the information is just to help people build build empathy from the ground up which we've worked with some people (laughs) that need that or or build upon the empathy they have through understanding themselves and other people so that's kind of where it came from
0: i love it i love the name um narcissism let's talk (laughs) narcissism so i feel like you're always going to write an enneagram book or is that a bold statement well, yeah, I don't
1: I don't know that that's true. I yeah. uh, you know, I was a writer. Um I studied English uh writing uh, when I was in undergrad. So I'm I'm a writer at heart, but then of course I also love psychology and the Enneagram and um all that stuff. So it was it's was kind of the perfect marriage of things coming together for me. I have some other Enneagram focused ideas, and then I have some ideas that aren't Enneagram focused that I'd like to write at some point, but but the Enneagram will never not be part of how I think both of us view the world, um, or at least other people. And it just became really clear to me that, like, this is something that needs to be explored because I do think narcissism is kind of becoming more visible to people. But I do also think that we have more narcissism than we've had in previous ages um and and I would also like to write a book about that on a more global sociological level but so yeah it just seems like the right time uh mm-hmm. to kind of marry those two things together Aaron and I have been we've both heard how to put it um yes we have some personal experience with some narcissists um in various aspects of our lives and um it's something we talk we you know we've always talked about privately. And learned about and, you know, nerded out about that in, in addition to the Enneagram. So it just seemed like, okay, let's, let's make this, let's marry these two things together. So.
2: Mm.
0: Aaron, what do you want to say about narcissism?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think for me personally, um, you know, I have experienced a couple of individuals in my life that I would say have really impacted the course of my life and it took me a long time to fully understand that dynamic and what i came to realize was that it was a narcissistic abuse situation and it still feels kind of weird to say that but um it can take on a lot of subtlety and it can take a long time to really know that's what you're dealing with, but I think there was something powerful for me about being able to put a name to that. Like what what is all of this that's happening and why do I feel like this? And now knowing, you know, that narcissism can show up in so many different ways, I think, you know, this is an attempt not to further pathologize people, Mm -hmm. but but to label something that is there and that is painful for for people on both sides. I don't think understanding it more deeply is ever a bad thing mm. um, because in a way it does also help me have empathy for the person coming from narcissism because this is all that they know.
0: No, so I've yeah. suddenly got that um, slightly uncomfortable feeling. I had, I was interviewing someone about addiction recently and I was just suddenly like, <laughs> 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 and not not on my own part, funnily enough. I, I don't I don't mind being revealed as a big narcissist more recognizing it in someone that I love would be harder. I feel right. something that Aaron just said made me think huh. yeah, <laughs> it's good to know i'd I'd always rather know anyway so yeah. so what, what does the book do um yeah, what does it do
1: um so what uh, what I start the book out uh or what I start doing in the book at the beginning is just laying out like what exactly is first of all when any no discussion of narcissism can be had without discussing empathy what what is empathy what isn't empathy um there are various levels of empathy which i lay out in the book um and talking about you know different people are at different levels sort of kind of like the levels of health but it's mm-hmm. it's a dynamic spectrum right so it's it's not static but um and then also what factors what does the research say about what contributes to someone having more empathy or not having empathy. So I talk about environmental factors. I talk about, um, you know, genetics. I mean, not in, I don't go into great detail about those things. It's more of an overview, but there's a, a developmental perspective of empathy. And uh, and so I talk about <clears throat> what these things are mm-hmm. and how they contribute to the development or not of empathy um, at the beginning. And then I, I talk about the levels of empathy. And then, so it's really kind of, interesting because it, it's a little bit, it feels a little bit like two books. I mean, they go together. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big book. It's you know, 300 and something pages long, but, and that's because I had to unpack empathy and what narcissism is. I distinguish uh, between narcissism and sociopathy and psychopathy.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then also just like someone who's, you know, a toxic person, right? Like, what does that mean? And so there's this sort of spectrum, And, and so I have to lay that out first. So people are really clear about, you know, when we get to the narcissistic subtypes in part two of the book, and those subtypes are based on um, the 27 instinctual subtypes, right? Mm -hmm. So um, in my research, I found that it seems that people, when they displayed narcissistic tendencies, tended to, which makes, of course, intuitive sense, but it, you know, the data supported it, tend to express their narcissism or act out their narcissism in the style of their instinctual subtype
0: mm-hmm.
2: so
1: if you're a social two you're going to do narcissism as it were or behave narcissistically like a social two would and it will look different than um the way an eight would do it or the way a seven would do it and if you look back at uh naranjo claudio naranjo's work who wrote character neuroses who was sort of mm-hmm. a granddaddy of the enneagram right at least one of them, and if you read his work, um, you might read it and think only sevens and eights were narcissistic, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I, we see people say that in you know online spaces. So then people think every time someone's a narcissist, they are or, or, or three seven or eight, right? And that just isn't have, didn't turn out to be true in the data. And I actually don't think Naranjo thought that only those two types could be narcissistic, but they definitely are the types that display classical narcissism the most the way we think about it but there are these other you know shades of narcissism and i think understanding uh like aaron was saying what it looks like being able to to name it um both for people that have narcissism and i have had people reach out to me that admittedly are like i've been told i i'm narcissistic or I've been, you know, I've talked to people that have been diagnosed with psychopathy and you know, all kinds of people. And and they want to understand it themselves. And mm-hmm. they often have difficulty finding their type because descriptions of narcissism will make them think that they're one of the three, seven, or eight, usually. Mm-hmm. But they are like, but I but I identify with this other type. Is that possible? And so it's it's really meant for not only people. It's been for everybody, right? Because mm-hmm. I think everyone, I guarantee you, everyone has encountered someone narcissistic. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's kind of what the book does, is it lays out these different subtypes. I use a lot of examples um, from literature and film. Uh, I couldn't use that Ooh. many real examples because no. my publisher was so nervous. I don't know, we would get sued. Um, so I use a few that are really obvious, you know. Uh,
0: so, mm. so. Is there a polarity between empathy and narcissism? So what's the relationship between them?
1: Yeah. um, So one of the, you know, there's, there's these several diagnostic characteristics of narcissism, but most researchers agree, um, clinical researchers agree that the, what the primary kind of um, linchpin for narcissistic behavior is a lack of care, concern, or thought about other people's wants and needs. And of course, this is on Mm a spectrum. So Mm -hmm. if someone is, you know, really narcissistic, you know, they score really high in those traits, um, they're going to have an exceedingly difficult time thinking about caring about or understanding other people's, what other people are feeling. And of course, Mm -hmm. there's different types of empathy, there's cognitive empathy and affective empathy and these different categories, I talk about those in the book. Whereas, you know, maybe somebody who is just slightly narcissistic can dip into selfishness more easily and you kind of have to remind them like, Hey, other people, mm-hmm. you know, this, this hurt my feelings or you weren't considering me. And they, the, some of them can course correct and they may not still really care all that much, but they can course correct uh, because they don't want to be in conflict with people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I kind of map that out in the book, but yes, narcissism by its very nature is a, is an empathy deficit. So Aaron and I have started calling mm-hmm. them, um, What is the word you came up with?
2: Uh, Disorders of diminished empathy. There you go. (laughs) That would include um, narcissism, sociopathy, psychopathy, Mm -hmm. and you know, any anything that affects the empathy. Yeah. Abilities.
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So yeah, it it, you know if I I don't think actually no you wouldn't find um, a high degree of narcissism with a high degree of empathy. It doesn't Mm -hmm. now there is one example that is that deviates from that and that is the dark empath. It they're they're interesting and i write about them in the book, but the, the dark empath does have um, high interpersonal intelligence and a kind of cognitive empathy um mm-hmm. where they can easily understand where someone is coming from from an intellectual or cognitive level and then they learn how to model sympathetic responses they know how to have the right tone of voice or say the right thing but because they score high on you know dark triad traits right so they they tend to be more a little bit i guess sociopathic would be a good way of putting it they're using that cognitive empathy or that empathy to manipulate control or have some kind of power over someone else. Uh, so it's, it's not empathy. The circuit doesn't work the same way and, and people that aren't using it for exploitative purposes, but, but they do have a uh, dark empaths. Do have a, a kind of empathy that they use for often nefarious purposes? And sometimes they don't, sometimes they're not conscious of it. Um, mm-hmm. but oftentimes there's a very conscious awareness of using empathy in that way. So that's, that's the one, uh, exception. Mm-hmm. I would.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. So have you've, you've explained there really what what narcissism, narcissism is, is it always neg- negative?
1: Ooh, good question. Um I uh, no, um I think narcissism can be really beneficial and useful for people in certain areas of their lives. Um mm. if you are, you know, trying to make it in the Hollywood world, you know, and you need a certain degree of access, I think, to being self-promotional and self-aggrandizing. You got to sell yourself. Um, And if you are able to do that, you probably will do well. Um, So I think narcissists or people with high narcissistic traits, they can often do well professionally because there's there's a kind of drive and grit that goes with that. Even there are certain fields where you just need to be able to be or at least mimic narcissism. If you're in the mm-hmm. you know, high-powered real estate or marketing world, a narcissism will probably serve you well because they want people that appear confident and that don't seem to have self-doubts and that can project that image of the kind of superior image that we often think of with narcissism. So I think in, in those instances, narcissism can be really helpful. Where it becomes problematic, I think, for all narcissists is in interpersonal relationships. That's when that, you know, even if they're high achievers and successful, and they look good, and they're image conscious or whatever, there usually comes a point in interpersonal relationships where the other person may feel overlooked or disrespected or, you know, Mm -hmm. the, the things we think about with narcissistic abuse. And then that it can become problematic. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and depending on the, the, their Enneagram type and instinct, um, that may bother them and that, or it may not. Uh, mm-hmm. and so it just kind of depends on that's when we get into the different, uh, variations and subtypes of narcissism and how it can kind of shift how they deal mm-hmm. with it, how they behave and, and those things. But no, so no, it's not always bad. Um, I would probably say that And for many narcissists, it's 95% of them, they don't think it's bad at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, You know, that's not a problem for them, it's a problem for the rest of us. But Mm -hmm. um,
2: yeah. Actually, if I can, I want to tie in something that you said, Rez, about the polarity. Um, I think that's a really interesting way of putting it because, in a way, empathy and narcissism are kind of those polarities. Mm -hmm. And I think that oftentimes, Narcissists are very attracted to people with high empathy and vice versa. Mm. And so it's kind of this interesting magnetic dynamic. So it's like the poles of a magnet. These different people are very attracted to one another because they help each other act out this particular uh, psychodrama, if Mm. you will. And so I think this is helpful both for people with narcissistic traits that don't want to get overly entangled with someone that's too emotional for them or too sensitive or might get in their way. Mm -hmm. And then for the empathetic person, they can recognize that there's nothing wrong with them, except for the fact that they are not protecting themselves properly from people that may take advantage of Mm -hmm. those traits that they have. For me as a six, I'm I it may sound like I'm warning people a lot and I'm like be careful but I do think it's important for for both sides to be able to look out for themselves and and to prevent this kind of toxic attraction from happening if it doesn't have to.
0: Yeah. No, that was exactly I think what I was re- reacting to earlier is the I don't think I've been careful enough with the sort of people that I've been willing to It'd be close to so at least for me I think there's been a way of overlooking or or not not noticing people's ske- sketchy parts of people's characters yeah.
1: no I think we all I think we all have a there's a sort of a, something human in that I think mm. except for, I mean even apes who are you know cynical of everyone's motives they have that flip side of being um naive right and that's mm. the part that they don't want. To let in, so they're in denial about that, and that's one reason why they're so cynical about people's good intentions, um, because they don't want that naivete to to get them. Sixes have a similar um, orientation; Um, they're either skeptical or um, or naive, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's a a couple types that have those pulls. But I think what what res speak to that. I think that that's that's a human trait. Mm-hmm. I mean, especially if we really like someone or really mm-hmm. attracted them, and we they, maybe they've been kind to us, or um, they're in our family, or you mm-hmm. know, we want to think, well, no, it can't. Maybe it's not that right. And um, I'm certainly guilty of that. And because it it once you let in, and of course, you know, narcissism isn't the totality of a person. Yes. Um And you can still you know love them and care about them. You just might have to do it from afar mm-hmm. <laughs> um, rather than being deeply involved with them because because these traits if they're high enough in someone and depending on how they manifest they can be really erosive to Mm. to connection um because it's it's more about their needs than than yours Mm. and so but i do think that there's just something in us that wants to you know have that part that like yes some types do it more than others but do you want to look at the you know, what could be the positive things or, or reframe it. I see mm. people trying to put a lot of different language on narcissistic behaviors in order to not call it narcissism. Mm. Um, and it's, that's a really common thing that people do. And I talk about that in the book, but I, I have a family member and an aunt who like, you know, our, my grandmother, her mother is narcissistic and, um, and she knows it, but she will not even use the word. And we'll talk, we talk around it, you know, but it's not, she won't use it. And I asked her why. And she was like, well, it's just sounds so clinical. And it's like, I'm labeling and um, I don't talk like that normally. And I was like, well, if someone's has depression, do you say they have depression? And she was like, well, yeah. And I was like, well, what's, what's the difference? If somebody's You know, if you say someone's outgoing, um, does that feel mean? And she was like, "Well, no." And I do get that the word has a negative connotation uh, for people, so I get that. Um, But like Aaron said, like let's call a thing a thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) um, and it doesn't mean it's the totality of the person, but I think there's power in naming it, and I think the avoidance of it, of either seeing it or naming it, is is a self protective uh, Mm -hmm. measure that we we all can engage in.
0: Mm-hmm. So you've already, we've established there are consistent patterns between our types and our narcissistic tendencies, right? Yes. So I think that is correct, isn't it?
1: That's correct, yeah,
0: yes. Yeah. Do they exist at all levels of development or are we only speaking about certain levels here?
1: Um, when you say levels of development, what do you say?
0: Yeah, so, actually, that's, um, so I'm speaking to, I suppose the Rizo Hudson okay. um levels. Yeah.
1: Yes. That's a good question. Um, mm. yes, I think that, um, narcissism is a trait that pervades, uh, all levels of, of health because it's. Ooh, a, it's
0: I wasn't so expecting you to say
2: that.
1: Yeah. it's, <laughs> it's a trait. Now I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find Um, using the the Rizzo Hudson model, I do think you'd be hard-pressed to find a narcissist that's at, like, level one. (laughs) Uh, Just because, or, you know, or even two. Uh, Because it is a condition of the ego, uh, I think the healthier your ego is, or the more disidentified from your ego, the less the narcissistic traits will come out. Um, And so I do think that there are people out there that you know, basically have had a kind of spiritual death or something, um, ego death in a way that maybe had a little bit of an awakening and those narcissistic uh, traits kind of loosened or diminished. But yeah, I mean, I think you can be high-functioning uh, mm-hmm. narcissist. I think there's that's most of what many people will find in their everyday lives. I think, mm-hmm. you know, it was estimated at one point that it was like, two percent of the population and then up to five percent and i think it's more like 15 to 20 percent of the population
0: Holy has, crap. <laughs>
1: has narcissistic traits at least
0: yeah. well, now
1: to distinguish between being having narcissistic traits and be, having narcissistic personality disorder mm-hmm. um is important because uh, I'm Glad
2: you're bringing that up because i was gonna bring that
1: up <laughs> yes yeah i was like i'm thinking someone might be like, what? So yes. yeah. NPD narcissistic personality disorder is very, is actually rare because it's not diagnosed a lot. Because if you think about it, why would narcissists be going to therapy and getting diagnosed with, mm-hmm. with anything, um, unless court ordered or it's like your, their spouse is saying, if you don't go to therapy, we're getting divorced or whatever. So that's usually the reasons why they'll end up in therapy. Um, so anyway, the diagnosis itself is rare and so when we're talking about narcissism and I say this in the book as well, we're not necessarily talking about NPD because it mm-hmm. that is it's a clinical diagnosis, it's very rare. We're not advocating everyone go out and diagnose everybody with NPD because you can't unless you are a clinical, <laughs> you know, psychotherapist or mental health counselor, you don't you, you know, you're qualified to do that. That doesn't mean you can't recognize it and see it and read the The diagnostic criteria and be like, hmm, seems like they fit the criteria, but that's so that's not what we're doing. Um, So when I say twenty percent of the population, I'm really just meaning twenty percent of the population probably has enough narcissistic traits um, Mm -hmm. that they it could qualify. And and, you know, when you think about the population of the world, twenty percent it is a lot, Um, but yeah, I'd say between fifteen and twenty probably. But it's way more common um, Mm -hmm. than. Than people realize, and I just think some forms of it, um, and some people, most people, are high functioning. They have families, mm-hmm. they have jobs, uh, they have friends. Um, some people can mask their narcissism, yeah. um, depending on you know how much corresponding empathy they have or awareness they have that their selfish or narcissistic traits are not desirable, mm-hmm. um, and they learn how to mask. But yeah, Aaron, would you add anything to that?
2: I mean, I think you basically covered it, but I do think it's important to say because sometimes people will get upset because they're like, this is a diagnosis and you're not being sensitive. And, you know, because of our background in studying mental health counseling, we are very sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we also are discussing a population that does not feel sensitive most of the time to this diagnosis, a lot of times they'll say, oh, yeah, I've been told I'm narcissistic. Um, Or, yeah, I I probably am. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't bother them or feel as strong a lot of times as it does to us. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's not always the case. Sometimes people don't like it because they know it's not appealing to Mm -hmm. others. Mm -hmm. Um, But In and of itself, they're not upset at the fact that they have diminished empathy because they don't care. It's just sometimes what it looks like can be hard. Mm -hmm. Um, But I would say what we're identifying is a behavioral pattern and we're calling it narcissism because that's the best name we have for it right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But I hope that at some point, you know, we can come up with a better name that kind of separates it from the diagnosis. Um, I think I was listening to a little bit culty podcast and someone said um, it's interesting that they call it narcissism because narcissist was in love with himself and narcissists actually have a deep self-hatred mm-hmm. and shame. Mm-hmm. And so we really need another name for it mm-hmm. because we're kind of pointing away from it when we say narcissism in a way, but that is the language we have at this time. And so I do just want people to understand that we're not at all trying to be insensitive to people that have a diagnosis, but mm-hmm. we're just trying to identify this particular pattern of of behavior.
0: Yeah, that's super interesting. Um, Yeah, I've never thought about it that way. Does each instinct point to, well, what does each instinct say about narcissism? I have in the past, I guess, associated what I understand to be narcissistic behaviours with people with um, sexual instincts, and I would say people who are not particularly healthy in their sexual instincts. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about behaviors such as um, being overpowering and, and domineering and, and not listening. And so I guess the more grandiose sort of narcissism.
1: Mm-hmm. I, you're not the, I I figured that was where you were going with it because you're not the first person that's been like, well, it just seems like all the people I've known have been sexual. And I think that, that has to do with our popular media conceptions of narcissism, you know, uh, mm. at least here, I don't. I don't know about in the UK, but in the U S we have lifetime television and there's all these stories of women getting involved with these sexy, charming men. And then, you know, they end up being these raging narcissists and being abusive. And so th- I think there's this, uh, sort of archetype that's out there of that. To answer your question, it does look different depending on the instinct and it's not more prevalent with sexual subtypes. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's across the, you know, across the board. An example of that would be, uh, you know, the social narcissistic person, and it's just going to come out in the social arena. They're probably going to be more, for example, I interviewed a social two that had high narcissism, and um, it was this obsessive need to be seen by others as, you know, the way we think of two, right? That they were generous and that they were connecting people, and that, um, but they were cutthroat about getting what they want, you know, to the point where they would undermine people and, um, you know, start rumors, talk about whatever they needed to do to be seen as the elevated one compared to other people, right? But the the public image was, they're so generous, and they, you know, they're generous with their time, and they're so kind, and they'll offer to do anything. But it was all in service of, you know, the person's uh, need to be seen as this image. So the mm-hmm. image really didn't match, you know, the person's internal experience and then the kind of, I guess we could say rage that the person had that anyone else would get attention that they wanted. Um, and, but just the image was that of a two, right? It was, mm-hmm. you know, I'm helpful, I'm supportive, I'm loving, um, when really what, what was most paramount for them was I need to get what I want. Right. So that's, that's how it might look in a social context. And then in a self president context, it might be the person's, you know, self-preservation, immediate needs, money, you know, for example, a a narcissistic self president one, which I I named the puritanical fuss budget in my, um, in the book, that's their, that's the name they got, but um, that's great. Yeah. But they, they want, uh, it's going to, it's going to filter through one. So there's going to be mm. this rigid control over not only themselves, um, which we can see with self-president ones in general, but, so they may be really rigid about diet and exercise and stuff like that. But if they have loved ones, family, children, spouses, they're going to also control that and other people. And they're going to mm. be like, you know, don't eat that. That's disgusting. Don't put that in your body and you know, maybe make comments about weight. They may be really um sort of compulsive and punitive about cleaning and making sure people adhere to their rigid standards. But with the narcissism with the one, it's interesting because you'll also get this simultaneous entitlement that comes with it. So they will be preaching um austerity and you know, frugality and all of those things. And then they may, you know, go out and spend. One example I have is um uh, a, a mother who would only buy her children uh, secondhand clothes and then mm-hmm. but she went and had to have the nicest clothes because she was working, mm-hmm. right? So so it so you still get the grandiosity mm-hmm. um, and the kind of self-involvement, but it's filtered through one right the, mm-hmm. the one ego says you shouldn't want those things right you should be in control of yourself and you shouldn't you know want these frivolous you know whatever it is but the but the narcissism says but you're better than everyone so mm-hmm. you at least deserve it right but other people haven't earned that um haven't earned the right to that and it's your job to regulate that in other people so that's what that's how it will filter through the different instincts and the book talks about of course all 27 mm-hmm. uh, Creations.
0: I'm definitely a self-pressed narcissist. The empathy <laughs> is out of the window when it comes to sharing my food Or Let me
1: say, like, I think all of us, when our instinct is triggered, um, we're all, and that's also what I talk about in the book, all of us are a little bit narcissistic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you have an ego, you have a little bit of narcissism in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, any of us that, you know, if we feel D- deprived, if we don't feel like we have enough of whatever that is, especially in our instinct, we might get a little selfish, right? Mm-hmm. The question is, is is it a pervasive pattern throughout the lifespan? Is it causing problems in your relationships to the point where people are saying like, God, you're so selfish. And why can't you share? Or Why can't you think about anyone else? Or, and then you might want to look at, you know, narcissism as a overarching kind of Thing that is part mm-hmm. of your life, but all of us can have those moments where we're like, no, I don't want to share. I don't have enough of this, or whatever. Because mm-hmm. that's what the instinct is, right? It's this yeah. sort of primal, like I have to hold on to whatever this thing is that I don't feel like I don't have enough of, even if that's not true.
2: Yeah, that's a healthy amount of narcissism. Yeah. Yes,
1: that's healthy.
0: <laughs> so I can carry on not sharing my food. I've got no intention <laughs> of ever sharing my food.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, that's just your thing. I mean, I.
0: But it's So what do you think will surprise people the most about this book?
1: Good question. Um, I don't know. I mean, I hope that people are pleasantly surprised at how well-researched it is. I was very mm-hmm. um, adamant about, you know, I, of course, I did these research studies prior to, I did two different ones. I did a lexical analysis research study, which was just proving that you could predict people's Enneagram type through their language, kind of based on Catherine's lexical work with mm-hmm. the Enneas style. I wanted to validate that, you know, mm-hmm. through my work at the university. So that that was the first study. And then the second one was on empathy. And that's where I started to see these subtypes come about, right? And I was like, okay, so there's something here. And of course, some of the subtypes didn't present in interviews. So of course, I had to go find, you know, examples in, in other spaces. So I hope that what people are surprised by is how uh, well researched it is. I feel like mm-hmm. I had to really lean on my <clears throat> academic training <laughs> um, uh, to to do this because I wanted it to have some validity and weight. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want it to just be me like pontificating on what I think this stuff is, but rather mm-hmm. like this is what the research says. And distilling it and synthesizing it together was really what I was what I was going for. So I hope that's what. People get out of it, and then also just I, you know, I spend a considerable amount of time in the book trying to. I, I don't know if I would say I'm trying to destigmatize the word of narcissism because I don't know that that's possible because it just has such a long history of invoking in people what it is, and it doesn't usually make people feel warm and fuzzy. But um, but maybe getting people more comfortable with like naming it. Because that's the part that I think can be really damaging to people that are suffering from narcissistic abuse or really wondering, like, what is going on with this person? And I just can't seem to, you know, get them to care and whatever it is and take the responsibility off of themselves. Cause there's a lot of people that take on the behavior of the narcissist and think, if I just did this differently, <clears throat> and they're not calling it what it is, right? They're not calling it narcissism. So it makes it hard to name it.
2: Mm-hmm. and.
1: And then they blame themselves. And so I'm I'm hoping that with this book, people can get a little bit more comfortable. Maybe, and I'm not advocating it, naming it to the person, no. right? Because that's not going to go anywhere usually, but for themselves. And so I hope that's one of the things people can get from it.
0: Hmm. Aaron, what do you think? You must have, re- I'm guessing you've
2: been involved with the book or at least in- Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We've spent many hours- um... We did a lot of like watching documentaries about like scammers, fraudsters, psychopaths. I mean, you name it. We've seen every that sounds broad- fun. I know, I felt like a detective. <laughs> um, but just trying to get an idea of like what these different subtleties feel like and, you know, how does a sociopath feel compared to a psychopath, compared to a narcissist? it has gotten to the point where like, we're both able to recognize it a good amount of the time pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think for me, if other people are able to do that, that's a way that they can protect themselves. um, If they feel like they need to or want to, and Mm -hmm. I'm not advocating that everyone be afraid and like, you know, carry the book around to like identify narcissists (laughs) and like scare themselves all day. But, you know, if you have a, if you've been feeling like there's something happening in a dynamic that you have and you're upset all the time, you feel gaslit, you know, um, another word that we all overuse now. But and you have all these feelings like, I don't know what this is, but I can't keep doing this. It helped me to be able to put a name, like I said, to what was happening. That was very validating for me. And as a six, I was like, am I crazy? And it was very easy for me to make it me. And so I want people to know it. it isn't you. This is an exchange between two people and it's not entirely equal. Mm-hmm. So. Definitely recognize that tendency as well.
0: I think what will for you, many people about this book, and I know this because of the podcast episode that you guys ran recently, is that there are so many forms of narcissists well, nine, nine in, yes. in, to be specific.
1: Because I am an Enneagram student and teacher, I was like, there has to be nine, right? Because it's this pattern, you know, the, the number nine, you know, in terms of mapping the human ego and the psyche. And I was like, there's got to be nine sub, there's got to be nine types of this, at least overarching mm-hmm. types. And mm. So,
0: So the book connects each Enneagram subtype with a form of narcissism. Would you be willing to choose just maybe one or two at random and um, yeah, d- describe their form of narcissism? Special request, if you can include nines.
1: Uh, people have a really difficult time seeing the narcissism of nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking of the type of narcissism that nines often have, they're usually the neglectful narcissist. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one sometimes it's hard for people to recognize because it's not as aggressively pay attention to me. I'm the greatest, whatever that we think about narcissism. It's, it's more just the neglect of, of other people. So, uh, so yeah, the self pres nine version um, and you think I would have all the names memorized, uh, but I can't remember the, what I named that particular subtype, but uh, this is 27 and I haven't, mm-hmm. yeah. but anyway, so I, the, for the self pres nine, it, I wrote about um the it, the movie American Beauty um, with um, Kevin Spacey, yeah. um, and he plays that version of mm-hmm. narcissist in in the film. And what happens is is that the self-pres nine when narcissism is present, they they're so neglectful of themselves, and of course this happens with nine anyway, that they also just heavily neglect other people because the self-pres nine is so concerned with their their appetites, sort of what they want. And it's sort of, I want what I want and I want it now. Not unlike eight, mm-hmm. um, I call them the neglectful slacker in the book. So I have oh, to look it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, when narcissism is present, they feel like they shouldn't have to work that hard on anything really, mm-hmm. um, including relationships including themselves including at work and all of their energy and attention goes to making sure that they have their appetites met so that they're comfortable and even if that's at the exclusion of their partner or their children or what they want they they tend they can lie a lot um mm-hmm. when that, that narcissism is high because they they don't want to have conflict so that's the Um, the part that will throw people off is that they will avoid conflict like the plague, like all nines will. And in order to do that though, they may have to just make stuff up or omit um, huge swaths of information so that the person doesn't get triggered and confront them about whatever it was that they did or didn't do. Usually something they didn't do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they'll just make something up because They don't want the conflict and they also don't want the complication. And now the difference between the normal, I don't want to use the word normal, the difference between the non-narcissistic nine um, and the narcissistic nine is that the narcissistic nine not wanting to have the conflict isn't because they necessarily don't want the disconnection. When we think about the average nine, I'll put it that way, they don't want to be disconnected from people. So conflict can create disconnection for the narcissistic 9 or the 9 that has higher narcissism it's less about the connection and more they just don't want the hassle they don't want to have, deal with your emotions and what you want and what you don't want so the conflict takes away from their you know self focus and it also can sort of slow down their whatever them going after whatever their their appetites are so the self pres 9 can be extremely when narcissism is there can be very lazy and flagrantly so to the Mm -hmm. point where you know you say you said you were going to do this thing and they're like well I didn't so um and then if you have a problem with it then you're the problem right because it's not that big of a deal and nothing's that big of a deal right Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um and there can be a way in which they're very initially sometimes they can be quite likable right they seem really laid back they don't really care that much about stuff and that can be the thing that attracts people to them but then that also Mm -hmm. becomes the thing that can damage relationships, right? Because it's mm-hmm. they really don't care about much. <laughs> and so
0: Yeah, that's a great example. <clears throat> I like it. Um you know, as we've said, no one associates nines with narcissism, but <clears throat> that sort of behavior is obviously very difficult to deal with.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's a very popular series right now on Netflix about Jeffrey Dahmer. Um mm-hmm. Who we type as a nine, it's probably the sexual nine, but, and people were like uh, in certain Facebook groups, we we teach and talk in and yeah. they were like appalled that we would type, you know, how could a nine be a serial killer? And it's like, well, that doesn't have anything to do with type, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to separate these these two systems, in a way, uh, because they're not mutually exclusive, but it just doesn't fit with people's idea of what mm. nines are capable of. Like, I think sometimes people don't want to think nines are capable of narcissism or psychopathy, yeah. or, um, and they they absolutely are, just like all the other types. So
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to do another example, or do you think that one was generous enough? I'll leave it in um, your hands.
1: I I can do another example. Well, yeah. pick a pick a type and a and Aaron,
0: you pick one. Pick one that you think is okay. good from the book. Okay. So like let's,
1: magic trick. Go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> let's do a social seven. Social
1: seven. Okay. I, I call the social seven, the, uh, the gleeful charlatan. Um, and, uh, there's a tendency to, I think in the book, the example I use is P.T. Barnum. He, was really known for you know he put on this great circus right he was a great mm-hmm. showman he was very uh gregarious and he everybody knew PT Barnum and he he was a very politically minded person in a way he had political aspirations definitely played 3 in the tri-type probably C- uh, 739 or 738 but there was a lot of snake oil tendencies uh mm-hmm. with PT Barnum and it was and also the exploitative part of of him where he, you know, he had these sort of sideshow attractions with people that had disabilities and Mm -hmm. uh, problems, and then he put them in these cages and sell tickets and people came and watched it, right? So this Mm -hmm. is, you know, where the sideshow, he wasn't the only one that did this, but he definitely had his version of it. But he wrapped it in such a positive, sunny kind of package that people didn't see the kind of insidiousness of it. That's kind of encompasses the energy of the this subtype with the social seven and narcissism where they, they can be really um, like all sevens. They can be visionary. They can have great ideas. They they can have be really well-intentioned in one way and wanting to create this ideal kind of utopia that they see as possible, but they will self, I mean, social sevens can be very uh, like all sevens. They can be impulsive in a way that they'll throw a lot of ideas out there and none of them happen. They can, sometimes get into patterns where, oh, well, I'm thinking of the, what's the Fry Festival guy's, fire Festival guy's name? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, talking.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yes. Um, that's a good example of social seven and narcissism coming together. Mm. They did let me write about him in the book. But because I he... it, yeah, I was like, okay, great. Um, so, you know, <laughs> it's, it's the selling this big dream um, and then there's n- maybe not a lot to back it up. And mm. then when you push them for, for some solid like results of something, or what have you done? Um, They can't give it to you and they become evasive. They may become aggressive and then they, you know, skip town or drop you or stop talking to you because you've kind of lifted the veil, you know, and see that it's all fairy dust and sparkles and there's not much behind it. So that's why, uh, I gave them that name because they're still sevens. They're still, you know, mm-hmm. positive and smiley, and um, but they're also very persuasive. But there's a charlatanism about them where you just mm-hmm. you never really fully know if what they're saying is true or if they're selling you, you know, a dream rather than something that could be a reality. It
2: hmm. Makes me think about the WeWork culture.
1: Yes, that's another good example of. Yeah social seven, um, selling a big dream and then not being able to deliver. And the hubris behind what it takes to sell that dream and they have it, but then um, because sevens are afraid of being inferior, all sevens, but then you add narcissism to that and then they can get really aggressive and cutthroat when you start closing in on, so you really can't make this happen, right? Mm -hmm. And then that's when they can be really hurtful or Mm -hmm. um, aggressive.
0: William McFarland. Farland, is that his name? Yeah. Yeah, well, we threw him in the road on the podcast. We didn't get it. you didn't get it in the book. <laughs> Love it. So final question, Sterling. And I know at least at least one person other than me who is really worried about this, but what happens if we read your book and realise that we're massive narcissists or that someone <laughs> someone that we're living with
1: is? Right, it is Well, don't panic, Um, (laughs) you know, it's, um, I think uh, someone reading it and realizing it, chances are you probably already know that. And I will say narcissists aren't usually worried that they're narcissists, Mm -hmm. like Aaron said. So they may read it and be like, yeah, so, or the denial comes in altogether and they're like, well, that's not me. Right. But I think people that are worried about being narcissists are probably not. (laughs) Um, Usually that seems to be the case. I've heard other people say, I don't know if I want to read this because I'm afraid I'm going to like find out my husband is. And if you suspect someone having narcissistic traits, they probably do. Mm -hmm. Right. It doesn't mean again, that they are full fledged, like diagnosable NPD narcissist, right. They may just have enough traits that maybe can be managed. Um, Some people that have traits do know right and they can they can employ strategies to to course correct especially in interpersonal relationships learning repair strategies in relationships or learning how to apologize is very difficult for a lot of narcissists and it can go a long way in saving relationships so i think approach it like one would approach you know, learning your Enneagram type with curiosity. I think I wrote the book, of course, with this premise of like, we're all a little bit narcissistic, just how much. And so I think it would be odd if someone read it and didn't see a little of themselves in some of the descriptions. But again, ask yourself, is it pervasive? Is it across the Mm -hmm. lifespan? Is it interfering with my relationships in such a way that this is a problem? And if it is, then you know, I encourage people to seek out a coach or counselor to help them learn strategies so that they're not sabotaging themselves. Because that's when narcissism or any other disorder issue gets inflated, it starts to interfere with our lives and we need strategies to help manage it. And then if you figure out someone that you're living with or uh, close to is, I I think it's just knowing it helps, it names it, 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 and it helps you to depersonalize it. Like, now, for some people that can be um, upsetting, right? Because it's like, well, okay, this person's like this and it doesn't usually change. But I think that's part of you know, step one of removing the kind of denial. And then step two is figuring out, okay, is this something that I can live with? Uh, he'd probably been living with it, right? So is it something I can live with? And if so, how can I be in relationship with this person and and not be as affected by their narcissistic traits or tendencies and so that's and that's something you would probably have to embark on with a therapist and or coach or something and and just some things you'd have to accept and then some people they may be like i don't i don't think i can do this because it's not Mm going to change some people think oh they'll change and they've been waiting for years for this behavior thing to change and then it, it doesn't
2: that's why in my opinion it's really important um to call it what it is. And again, that's not asking you to take up arms and go confront someone with their narcissism. That won't go well. But if you think about it, it isn't empathetic to continue trying to force someone to change that isn't able to in that way. And so it's hard, but there is a kind of empathy that that we're called on to use, which is to meet people where they are, Not that we're not asking them to be better, but if we know that someone has diminished empathy and they're not able to do that, to continue punishing them or expecting them to or criticizing them or, you know, that's not fair either. It's not fair to them or us. So, you know, don't be alarmed if you see something that you think is narcissistic. Um, Sometimes people grow up under Mm -hmm. narcissistic parents. Mm -hmm. um, in families where that is kind of the energy and the dynamic. And sometimes these behaviors will show up in people and they are not narcissists, but they have taken on this pattern of relating. They themselves are actually victims of narcissistic abuse. And so Mm -hmm. just because you see some of this stuff doesn't mean there isn't more to the story, but it can be a jumping off point for better relating.
1: And I'll add to that, that, to that point, you you do have to think about, is this person going through something especially difficult right now? Mm-hmm. Are they grieving or, you know, something like that? Because that can make people more self-involved and selfish if they're dealing with something difficult, stress at a job or something like that. And I guess everyone's always dealing with something, right? But mm-hmm. But again, that's why I encourage people to look like throughout the span of your relationship with this person, has this always been the case? It may be harder to see at the beginning because even narcissists are on their best behavior at the beginning Mm -hmm. of a relationship. But um, you just want to consider like what's going on, you know, if there's an extreme stressor and that person's experiencing traits, it may not be that they are a narcissist necessarily, but that, you know, their ego is just more entrenched right now and they are having a hard time seeing outside of their their type you know or instinctual focus
0: oh you're both living up to your name here with these comments it's a very empathetic response to the question and and the whole book sounds like it's been written from a very empathetic stance and perspective so thank you both
1: yeah thank you for having us it's been it's been fun to talk about these things and so yeah we'll, we'll come back anytime
0: for listening the next episode is with Suzanne Stabile which was again another huge privilege back in two weeks